0: Everybody, uh, welcome to this session. Uh, and our first paper is going to be from Sheena Graham George from Glasgow School of Art on the forgotten mothers of the Killini. Sheena is uh, an Orkney based visual artist and is currently halfway through her practice based PhD at Glasgow School of Art. Her research is, is concerned with memory, place, and community in relation to Irish Killini, the unbaptised infant burial grounds and disenfranchised. Uh, brief. And her work as an artist looks at the role of memorialising the marginalised dead through art as a conceivable way for communities to make peace with a past which differs in attitude from the present. And I'm particularly interested in, in um, hearing her presentation as only in the last year I've discovered that the farm I grew up on had a killing within a few hundred yards of our house which was kept well hidden from most of us unless we had a reason to know what it was there. So please Hi. go ahead. Then. Thank you very much. Oh, good morning everyone from this rather Hi. wet, wet day. <laughs> right, okay. It's, I'm not very good at coordination, so I'll see what I can do here. Right, uh, thanks so much for asking me to come along today to speak. And um, This morning I'd like to share with you an aspect of my research work, which the cleaning, the unbaptised infant burial grounds of Ireland. And a quiz chest which has presented itself during the course of this research Why, as oral history tells us, were women who died in childbirth thought to be buried within these sites? Hidden away, folded within Ireland's rural landscape, Kalini are historically, emotionally, and politically complex sites. The landscapes of the Kalini are personal sites of mourning and remembrance for families whose stories have, in many cases, remained hidden away as part of the burying process of a difficult history. As they emerge from the shadows of the past, Collini, like the Madeleine laundries and the church run mother and baby homes, are a stark reminder of these darker times, often at odds with present day sensibilities. This is a subject requiring extreme sensitivity to help facilitate reconciliation with this aspect of the past. Tim Robinson eloquently states the case when he says, Although disused for some decades now, children's burial grounds are still tender spots on the rural landscape and have to be approached with tact. Predominantly used for the burial of babies and infants from the late medieval times up until the mid-20th century, many disenfranchised adults including suicides, strangers, shipwrecked sailors, murderers and their victims, criminals, famine victims, those with physical and learning disabilities and women who died in childbirth also lie interred within these sites. Individuals who, for one reason or another, were considered unsuitable for burial within consecrated ground. It is this last category which interests me and begs the question, why would a woman who died in childbirth or shortly after be denied burial in consecrated ground? Apart from mentioning oral history, little information can be gleaned regarding these women who have all but disappeared from the historical record. To understand fully the reasons behind this apparent invisibility and subsequent burial of this time, it is necessary to consider a combination of the contributing factors, including the status of women in society during this period, canon laws pertaining to women and childbirth, the state's attitude towards unmarried mothers, and local superstitions and folk belief concerning post-Berturian women. Perhaps in framing the question in this way, we might find it is a mixture of all these elements, society, church, state, and superstition, colluding to obscure the memory of these mothers. Before we look in more detail at each of these points, let me give a brief overview of the Kalini and what type of place they are. There are approximately 1,400 officially recorded Calini, which lie scattered throughout Ireland. The actual figure is likely to be higher, as many have been forgotten in the midst of time. They're located within pre-existing archaeological monuments, both Christian and pagan in origin, such as Ringforts, near Holy wells and disused ecclesiastical sites, such as this one in Lower, in County Kerry. At the site, the remains of the oratory can still be seen, along with standing stone with inscribed Latin cross. I'm afraid I haven't got up to here in the chair, but it's just over this side here. And it appears to watch over these smaller lion graves, which all sit in a row. And on the horizon, you can just about see skeleton Michael there. Collini were primarily used for babies who were stillborn, miscarried, or who died at birth without baptism thus discounting burial within consecrated ground. Baptism was considered the only way to cleanse the soul of the sin committed by Adam and Eve, when they disappeared and obeyed God. In a catechism of Catholic doctrine, Carolus writes that original sin comes down to us through our origin or descent from Adam, the head of the human race. In the eyes of St. Augustus of Hippo, all innocent newborns were tainted with original sin which only baptism could redeem and save from damnation. This rather severe view was later moderated by subsequent councils to become a place where hell and heaven, limbus and phantom, or limbo, where innocent, unbaptized children without actual sin would go. Neverly formally defined as church doctrine, this theory nonetheless was largely responsible for many thousands of families burying their offspring in Khalili. In 2007, the International Theological Commission, under the direction of Pope Benedict, declared that as a theory, Limbo provided an a newly restricted view of salvation, and that there was hope that infants who died without being baptized would be saved. To try and build up a picture of the reasons why a woman who died whilst in childbirth might be buried in a queen, it's worth looking briefly at the social status Of women in rural Ireland during the late 19th and mid 20th century. Ireland during this period offered few opportunities for women in rural areas beyond the traditional role of wife and mother, a position encouraged by the Catholic Church which dominated moral and welfare issues through its close relationship with the Irish Free State. In 1937 this situation was further endorsed in article 41 of the Irish constitution which stated By her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall, therefore, endeavor to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labor to the neglect of their duties in the home. With such limited prospects at home, many women emigrated while others became nuns or worked in domestic service. Overall life for women was narrow and limiting, controlled as it was by both state and church. As Mary Ryan says in her paper, Then and Now, Memories of a Patriarchal Island and the Work of Marian Keyes, Irish society allowed two very limited options for the roles of women. The image of the Virgin Mary was regarded as the ideal role model for women, while the image of the mother was considered to be the prototype of Irish women. For a married woman, her role was to bear children and look after the home. In the late 19th and early 20th century, families were large and for a variety of reasons, infant and maternal mortality rates were consistently high. Referring to the records on maternal deaths, Joseph Robbins writes in "Nursing and Midwifery in Ireland in the 20th century, from 1900 to 1915, six or seven mothers died annually per 1,000 live births. 576 mothers died in 1915. This leads us to another question. What then happened to these mothers who fulfilled what was considered their sacred role, yet who died in childbirth or shortly after the birth, and as such were unable to be churched? As archaeologist Eva Dennehy states in an Irish Times article about the adults buried within Ireland's Calhounie, if the mother died without being churched, a blessing given to the mothers after recovery from childbirth, then she could be buried in a Calhounie as well. Benedictio Maliere's postpartum, the blessing of women after giving birth for the Churching of Women, dating from the early Christian period, was a traditional Thanksgiving ritual within the Catholic Church, welcoming women back into the Church and society after a period of weeks after the birth of a child. The practice ceased after 1965 with the advent of Vatican II, but prior to this time, legally married Catholic women were expected to undergo the ritual after a birth. Not without controversy, it was deemed by some as a misogynistic practice, implying women and childbirth as dirty and unclean, in need of ritual purification. Others felt the ceremony misunderstood, that it was in fact a celebration of women, a thanksgiving to God. This discrepancy is possibly due in part to its associations with the Jewish ritual purification of women after childbirth based on Leviticus, Canon 18 from the 4th-5th century, canons of, canons of Hippolytus reiterates Leviticus when it states, The woman who is given birth stays outside the holy place for 40 days if the child which she has born is male, and if it is female, 80 days. The Catholic Church stressed the nature of thanksgiving, and for some women that was indeed their experience, However, for many others, churching implied criticisms of impurity. As one one quoted by Diamond Ferriter in his book, Occasions of Sin, Sex and Society in Modern Ireland says, the way it was, you were like a fallen woman. I thought I was a dirty woman because I had the child. Until a woman had undergone churching, which could be some weeks after the birth, she was unable to attend church even for the baptism of her own child or fully participate socially Louise Lewis interviewed a number of Irish women as research for her drama, The Churching of Happy Cullen. She describes how many women often felt ostracised until they were churched. That they felt the stigma of being labelled as tainted or dirty after going through an often difficult but no less life-affirming joy of childbirth as something that affected them for the rest of their lives. For Irish women, there was the added layer of superstition and folk belief following childbirth, which further compounded those feelings of being tainted and ostracised. Some beliefs, such as, an unchurched woman was attractive to the fairies were general, whilst others were more localised. Louise Lewis again in her interviews discovered that an unchurched woman must not even pick up a knife to prepare food as they would taint it. Or, more insidiously, this belief retold, in the Open Anthropology Cooperative website of One Woman's Experience, where the baby's face was covered by lace or a white cloth so that the mother could not breathe on the child and breathe evil on it. Regardless of the Thanksgiving element to the churching ritual in Ireland, as Susan Hogan writes in her Breasts and Beastings, Rethinking Breastfeeding Practices, Maternity Rituals, and Maternal Attachment in Britain and Ireland, Folk custom went further than canon law in excluding not only the unbaptised and stillborn children, but even, sorry, can you come, I'll come back to that. Until the mid-20th century, echoes of an earlier role as a of right, purification still existed. I'm going to come on to this one. Throughout the centuries, there have been different opinions on the fate of women who died in pregnancy. One such belief was that whilst pregnant, a woman received the sacraments, which meant that in death she could be safely buried within consecrated ground. However, as the foetus she was carrying was unbaptised, it was not, unfortunately, allowed the same privilege and would therefore have to be removed and consigned to an unconsecrated burial plot. The Council of Canterbury, AD 1236, and the Council of Trevors, AD 1310, made it a prerequisite that as Duncan Sayer and D. Dickinson wrote in their article, reconsidering obstetric death and female fertility in Anglo-Saxon England, the unbaptized unborn fetus to be cut out. The mother could then be safely buried in the churchyard, the baby elsewhere. But what of the fate of women who died in childbirth unchurched? During certain times in history, and depending upon theological interpretations of canon law, Susan Hogan writes that, in some areas, a woman who died unchurched could not be buried on consecrated ground. Folk custom went further confounded the fate of the woman, as it was often much harsher than church laws. Madeline Gray makes this very point in ritual space and ritual burial in the early modern Christian tradition. Folk custom went further than canon law in excluding not only the unbaptised and stillborn children, but even women who died while pregnant, since the foetus within them was not baptised. Women who had died in childbirth and even women who had died before they were church or ritually purified after the birth process were sometimes buried in unconsecrated ground. Through the church on one hand and folk belief on the other, the destiny of a pregnant woman or one who died in or shortly after childbirth was certainly not safely guaranteed burial within consecrated ground. In the case of unmarried mothers or mothers-to-be, the state of the church treated and judged her harshly. The legacy of the Magdalene Laundries and the mother and baby homes are a good example of such. If pregnant out of wedlock, a woman could be and at times was refused hospital treatment, as in the case of Peggy McCarthy, who in 1946 went into labor, was refused medical help at two hospitals in Trilly and Stowe, and subsequently died. The local parish priest refused to have the coffin in the church for the same reasons. Even though there is a substantial number of Killeen found throughout Ireland, very few have been excavated, which makes it difficult to gauge how many, if any, women who died in childbirth were buried here. However, in 2003, a Killeen was uncovered near Ballinar during the road building of the N26 in County Mayo. 248 bodies were discovered, 181 of these being children, alongside 67 adults. One of these adults was a young woman aged between 25 to 35 years old who was found with fetal remains inside, suggesting she had been pregnant at the time of death. Not only had she died whilst pregnant, but three cut marks made by a blade were found on the skull, signifying she had in fact been murdered. As Joanna Nolan, archaeologist and author of the report, wrote, this would have made her doubly ineligible for burial in consecrated ground both as a murder victim and because she could not have been churched prior to her death. To conclude, Kalini, by their very nature are secretive and clandestine places, the past safely locked away with only fleeting glimpses occasionally captured through oral history. However, this mode of history is a rich gathering of people's memories and experiences which at times challenges our view of the past, yet gives us access to unofficial histories those outside the sanctioned retelling of the past. It is through oral history we find mention of women who have died in childbirth being buried within the Kalini. Hard historical evidence appears to be elusive and patchy at best. We are only left with circumstantial evidence and the position of women within the social, political and religious context of the time to support this claim. Lack of hard evidence does not negate the possibility that mothers and mothers-to-be were in fact, the reasons presented in this paper, interred within the community. Thank you very much.